Hey, God likes, um, the Bible says it one way. There's another way to say it, hey? Hundred percenters. Do you know what a hundred percenter is? Someone who's wholehearted. And um, I met Chris um, on a, we are doing short courses at the school, weren't we? And I just, um, like a week, wasn't it? It wasn't a week. A sharpen, we called it. Sharpen, a week-long discipleship we did. And he'd just not long finished Duralong. Is that right? And then he did sharpen. And then he signed up um, for the nine months discipleship school. And did that with his whole heart and his whole belly. He loved a good feed. <laughs> um, but he was always taking books out of the library. He was hungry. And um, he went from that to a diploma. Then I think you've done a degree in social work. Is that right? Um, and he's, Chris, Chris, here you go. Humble. God's grace, see? But he's done something right as well as he's always pushing to the next thing. In, but not getting ahead of God in that. You know, just sensing what God's got next and then stepping into it. We listen, we obey, we grow. We listen, we obey, we grow. And I've watched that in Chris's life since 2013, 2014. And this is where he is today. Hey? So we, make sure you listen first because if you go without hearing, sometimes you're not obeying, you're just doing your own thing. And God can't bless that. But if we hear, we obey, then we'll grow. Lord God, I thank you that this guy's life is a testimony to how you work in our lives. And so, Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness to him. But Lord, I also thank you for his faithfulness to you. And so, Lord, we um, just ask, and I believe um, with all my heart, that you'll anoint his words today. Um, take your word by your spirit and apply it to our hearts and minds so that we can experience further transformation um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Wow. Very humbled by just to hear your, your heart for the journey that God's blessed us to share together. Thank you for that. And uh, it's been an honour to, to serve here and to be getting to know you guys over the years. And uh, we had a plan, but God's plan was a bit different for the last couple of weeks. And I want to echo Mel's thanks to the teams, uh, for people that have stepped in, who have prayed, who covered uh, when all of our best laid plans uh, went by the wayside. God always had that plan A. So thank you for stepping in and always being available to answer that call. Um, I was going to start a bit differently, but I've just got something else that's happening that I want to share with you to introduce uh, what God put on my heart a few weeks ago to talk about how our lives can become a living sacrifice when we follow Jesus. And if you're on a journey and you don't know who Jesus is or you don't know if you're following him or if you, if you want to, maybe this message might be called How to Live My Life Differently. How can I step into something new? How can I try something new? So however you want to look at it, we're going to get into it today. And um, having reflected on God's great plan of salvation, for all that come to believe, um, all Paul could do was sing a hymn of praise. And that's where I want to begin today, in Romans chapter 11. It's just the prelude to talking about our lives becoming a living sacrifice. So this is what Paul had to say. He said, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments and his decisions? And how unfathomable and untraceable are his ways? For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Or who has first given to him that it would be paid back to him? For from him all things originate, and through him all things live and exist. And to him are all things directed. To him be the glory and honour forever. Amen. And this is where we step into this verse, this call into holy living, this call that our lives would become a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, that is, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart as living as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing and well-pleasing to God. And this is our true and proper way to worship. It's our rational response. You know, in the Christian life, doctrine and duty, they go hand in hand. They always go together. What we believe helps us to determine how we then behave. It's not enough for us just to understand Paul's doctrinal explanations about our lives and the way to live. We need to translate this into something that we can understand. We need to translate our learning, the the things that God is teaching us, and start to live that out, to show that in our daily lives. It's a way that we can show that we trust God's word, that we believe God's word, and we live that out in the ways in which he gives us an opportunity to do so. It's interesting, uh, some of the things that you mentioned in uh, the journey that I've been on, Andrew, because this is what I saw in people living the Christian life. It's what drew me closer to God. People who were following Jesus in a way, not just speaking it out, but living it out. I saw people here in the Salvation Army, um, as some people like to call it, living Christianity with its sleeves rolled up, and I wanted to be a part of that. I saw individuals who were firm and faithful in their beliefs, and they were living it out. And through that example, it encouraged me to take more and more steps closer to the will of God for my own life. And it's what still brings me here today to share and to try and um, talk about, to testify to the dramatic change that God's done, not just in my life, but in the lives of so many people all over the world. And for us here in this faith community, in this family of believers, we can see the growth and the the ways in which God's worked in each of our lives over, over these years. So it's my prayer and my hope today that this message will draw you closer to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So Paul talked about it here, that Christian dedication, it involves three steps. So we're just going to go back through and have a look at them. So Paul talks about us giving God our body. Sounds a bit unusual when you first catch that one. 
for me, it sounded unusual to me. How do I present my body as a living sacrifice? How do I dedicate all of myself? How do I set myself apart for God's purposes? These are some of the questions that stir up in me when I'm, when I'm encouraged by God's word to present my body as a living sacrifice. Because before I trusted in Jesus, I used my body for sinful pleasures, sinful purposes. But now that I belong to him, I want to use my body for his glory. The Christian's body is God's temple because the spirit of God comes to live and dwell within us when we invite Jesus into our hearts. And it's our privilege to glorify Christ in our body and to magnify Christ in our body. In the Bible, we see the divide between the Old and the New Testament. And what's the simplest way to explain what's the difference there between the Old and the New Testament? Law and grace. The human history is divided into this point before Christ, after Christ. The law, the grace of God come to fruition. See, the Old Testament sacrifices, they were dead sacrifices. But we are to be called living sacrifices. So if we look at just, just two of the living sacrifices in the Bible, two examples to help us better understand what this means. The first one is Isaac. And his story is in Genesis 22. And the second is our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Isaac willingly put himself on the altar and he would have died in obedience to God, in, in obedience to God's will. But the Lord sent an animal to take his place, provided a, a way out. But Isaac died all the same. He died to self and he willingly yielded himself to the will of God. We can learn a lot from Isaac. Because when he got off that altar, he was a living sacrifice to the glory of God. And of course, when we talk about our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the perfect illustration of a living sacrifice. Because he actually died on the cross as a sacrifice. And today in heaven, he's a living sacrifice. Because he rose again, he conquered the grave you know what, friends, when we talk about those things in our life that keep us from living in the will of God, I really want you to remember this. Jesus conquered the grave. And if he can conquer the grave, he can conquer the things in our life that hold us back from being set apart from the will of God. What measure of surrender are we willing to go and to put those things on the altar, to sacrifice them to the will of God? Jesus is our living sacrifice. His body bears the wounds of the cross of Calvary. He's our Lord and our Saviour and he's our advocate before the throne of God. He makes our requests and our prayers and our petitions known in the throne room of God. That's the kind of Saviour and Lord that we serve that takes our petitions, our prayers to the throne room of God. And just as Jesus Christ had to take on himself in a body to accomplish God's will on earth, we must yield our bodies to Christ. That's the call to living sacrifice, that we might continue 
God's work through us. Not for our own purposes, but for his glory. So we give God not just our bodies, but we also give him our mind. Here's here's something that uh, God's been revealing to me over the last little bit of time when I've had a lot of time to think and to sit here in my mind. The world wants to control our minds, but God wants to transform our minds. Hey, what about that? Do you want to turn to the person next to you or just get somebody in the room and just say, the world wants to control our minds, but God wants to transform our minds. Bring it on today, friends. Let's speak that word into each other's lives. Call someone up after church, hey? God wants to transform our minds, to renew our minds. And this describes a change from within. The world wants to change our mind. It wants to exert pressure on us from external. But the Holy Spirit changes our minds from, by releasing power from within. And if the world controls our thinking, we're conformers. God made us so much more than that. We're born for more, friends. We're made for more. If God controls our thinking, we're transformers. And when God transforms our minds, he makes us more spiritually minded by using his word to help us understand more and more what his will for our lives are. So as we spend time meditating on God's word, memorizing it and making a part of our inner person, gradually God makes us, our mind, more spiritual. The last one, and this is where many of us find it the most difficult, to give God our will, to surrender our own will. See, our mind controls our body, and our will controls our mind. And many, many of us think that we can just control our will by willpower. How's that working for us, friends? No matter how many times I've tried to go down that path, it never works for me. No matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, I end up at the end of myself. So what am I going to do about that? How, what do I need to become a victorious Christian to stand in the victory that Christ had in the cross, in conquering the grave, rising again? How do I stand in that? Well, I surrender my will to God, through disciplined prayer, through making time to spend in his presence. And as we spend time in prayer, in his presence, as we surrender our will to God and we share in the prayer that Jesus had before he went to the cross, not your will, Lord, but mine be done. We must learn to pray about everything and let God have his way in everything. Paul gives us two reasons for this commitment and it kicks it off. It's the right response to all that God has done for us. He urges us by the mercies of God. They're the testimonies we have in life where maybe not at the moment that we saw how God was working, but now when we look back, we start to understand God was bringing about his purposes. It's our reasonable service. It's our spiritual worship. That's why we make this commitment to surrender our own will. 
And by this means, every day is a worship experience when our body, uh, our body, our mind and our will are yielded to the Lord. So why can't we just do this all by ourselves? Why is it so hard to surrender our will? Am I the only one that has this struggle? These are the questions that we challenge ourselves with and sit with, asking why, 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 God? If you share in any of those questions, I want to use the next couple of stories just to, just to illustrate where, where this may have all started and just some example that God's already given us some encouragement to better understand the human experience. And this was the, the story that God first led me to in this message and where I sat uh, for quite a while. So I'm going to read it out for you and then just share some of the revelation that has come from that. So it's found in Genesis chapter 4. We're going right back there to the story of Cain and Abel. Now the man Adam knew Eve as his wife and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've obtained a baby boy, a son, with the help of the Lord. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. So Abel kept the flocks of sheep and goats, but Cain cultivated the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, but Abel brought an offering of the finest firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. And the Lord had respect and regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no respect. So Cain became extremely angry or indignant, and he looked annoyed and very hostile. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? And why do you look so annoyed? If you do well, believing in me, doing what is acceptable and pleasing to me, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, but ignore my instruction, sin crouches at your door. Its desire is for you to overpower you, but you must master it. Cain talked with Abel, uh, his brother, about what God had said. They had a conversation about it. And then when they were alone walking in the field, Cain attacked Abel, his brother, and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he lied and he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's innocent blood is crying out to me from the ground for justice. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood shed from your hand. And when you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength. It will resist producing good crops for you. And you shall be a fugitive and a vagabond, roaming aimlessly on the earth in perpetual exile, without a home, a degraded outcast. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me out this day from the face of the land and from your face, from your presence. 
I'll be hidden and I'll be a fugitive and an aimless vagabond on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, a sevenfold vengeance, that is, punishment seven times worse, shall be taken on him. And the Lord has set a protective mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he lived in the land of Nod, wandering in exile. Friends, the book of Genesis, it's a book of beginnings. It records events which set the rest of human history into motion and it starts to talk about God's plan of salvation right from the very beginning. The author of Hebrews, much later on in the New Testament, tells us that Abel's faith distinguished him, distinguished his sacrifice from Cain. When God had no regard for Cain's offering, Cain reacted with dejection. And anger. God did not reject Cain for his strong feelings, but rather he drew closer to to him. He offered him an opportunity for a new start, for a fresh start. But how sad is it that Cain refused this second chance and instead he went on to kill his brother. We need to be careful, friends, when we face these obstacles in our life, those valleys that we spoke about earlier. When we're in the valley, we need to carefully weigh up the strong feelings we encounter within ourselves before acting on them. Because if we don't, we may be passing up an excellent opportunity for a fresh start. God's not put off by our strong feelings. He's not put off by what we go to him with and cry out. Life in all its fullness is based on God's grace, which always offers us an opportunity to begin again I believe this is for someone today work or life life in the will of God it isn't a curse it's a blessing work isn't a punishment from God because of our sin for Adam had to work in the garden before he and his wife yielded to the enemy of our soul's temptation The biblical approach to work is that we're privileged to cooperate with God by using his creation gifts for the good of people and the glory of God. So if you're struggling in that space today, I love that the worship team brought up this theme. Let's start to receive this today. Let's start to receive from the word of God. Let's start to receive that encouragement from the people that God's placed in our life that are speaking life to us. Will we receive it today? See, as Christians, we don't just pay our bills and do that to provide for our needs. We work because it's God's way of giving us an opportunity to serve him, to show others what a relationship with God is like and just how much it can transform our lives. And this is what gives God all the glory. We don't just work to make a living, we work to make a life to develop our God-given abilities and to seek to increase the quality and the quantity of our labour. Think about what God's trying to teach us through the story of Cain and Abel. What started to come up from you for you as you heard about the way in which that relationship 
between those first couple of individuals who were bringing an offering to God. What was the difference? It was the faith, the offering of faith. So the key idea in this story, it's about relationships. It's our relationship with God. And if we have a right relationship with God, we will have a right relationship with the people in our lives. If our relationship is right with God, our relationships with the people who are in our lives will be on track. We can't separate our relationship with God from our relationship with other people. This includes our, our own families as well as our families in the Lord, for those fam- the family of believers. And this unforgiving spirit such as which possessed Cain, it hinders our worship and it destroys our fellowship with God and with all of God's people. For those people that are close in our lives, maybe it's those people who do not yet know what a relationship with God looks like but they're looking so closely at our example, how we treat them, how we speak to them, how we deal with situations, everyday situations that we all face. What's the difference between the way that we do it and the way the world does it? It's better that we interrupt our worship and get right with another person than to pollute our sacrifice because we have a bad spirit within Anger is a powerful emotion that can lead to violence and even murder. How often can I think later on after some kind of outburst or sitting with something and stewing on it and just think, why did I do that? Jesus taught that anger in the heart is the moral equivalent of murder with the hands. It's a pretty high standard. And I'm so grateful that Jesus is the perfect example of how to heed God's warning, how to accept his gracious invitation. Because had, he, had Cain actually heeded God's warning and accepted that invitation, he never would have become a murderer. How soon after his worship did Cain entice his brother away from home and kill him? Was it the same day? Did he stew on the matter for a little while? He'd probably murdered his brother in his heart many times before he actually committed the deed. He was envious of his brother because of his relationship with God, but yet Cain was unwilling to get right with God. We can't do somebody else's relationship with God, friends. We can only do our relationship with God. So if we're spending so much time comparing someone else's journey and where we think that they should be at, leave that for God. That's between them and God. What we can do is we can pray. We can pray for those people. We can pray for an opportunity to speak life into that situation. When we hate others, it's a sign we're not walking in the light and that we don't have God's love in our hearts. So what do we want to do about that? Or more personally, what do I want to do about that? Cain was also a liar. He lied to his brother, 
when he enticed him to that place where he killed him. And he spoke about what God had told him. He lied to himself into thinking he could do such an evil deed and get away with it. And he even tried to lie to God to cover up what he'd done. He never repented of his sins, and his words reveal he's a, he was full of remorse and regret. But he didn't say, my guilt is more that I can bear. He said he was only concerned with his punishment, not with his character. What would it look like if we were more concerned about our character than our punishment? If he wandered from place from place, he would be in great danger. But if he stayed in one place, he'd starve because he could no longer serve that purpose for which God had called him to. The earth had turned against him, God had turned against him, and people had turned against him. But what could he do? By hating and murdering his brother and refusing to repent, God created for himself an intolerable life. He opened the door to temptation and closed the door on his family, on God and his future. There's our warning today, friends. We don't want to close the door to what God has in store for us. We don't want to open the door to the temptation that can lead us away from God, from the family and believers, and God's preferred future for us. No matter where he lived or what he did, Cain would always be a restless man for whom there was no remedy. But God's mercy was revealed in that story. God did a strange thing. He put a mark on Cain that would protect him from the assaults of people who wanted to kill him. We don't know what this mark was or why people would recognise it as God's protective seal, but it worked. This was purely an act of mercy on God's part. But why would God allow a murderer like Cain to go free? What's God trying to teach us about his mercy in this story? In his mercy, God doesn't want to give us what we deserve. And in his grace, he gives us what we don't deserve. And that is forgiveness and hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is the relationship that we're called into with God through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Through the resurrection, God's plan of salvation has come to fruition and we're all called into sharing in this mercy, in this grace and the forgiveness that we don't deserve. But it's freely given to us if only we'll receive it. How are you going with your receiving journey today, friends? I know I have to work on it every day. And there's always an opportunity for those people in my life that speak life, that encourage me, that remind me of God's work in my life. Look, I've got one more biblical story I'd love to share with you. But I'm also just wondering if um, there's quite a bit there. I think that may even just be enough for us to sit with and to work with. So I want to do uh, something as the, as the band uh, come up to, to lead us in a time of reflection and worship and response. This is our opportunity to respond to what God's calling us into today. We'll bring up that last slide um, just before the band start to play. Thanks, guys. It's just, it's just that call.
It's that call for our lives to become a living sacrifice. We give God our body, we give God our mind, and we give God our will. So I really encourage you today, friends, just commit to even just one of those. Take some time now to do your business with God, to surrender to his will, to step into the next part of the journey, to think about how your life can become a living sacrifice for the glory of God. I just want to read you a final a final uh, encouragement here. I might actually even ask, just, just while the band play um, and while we do have that opportunity to respond to what we've heard today, I might just ask a few people that feel led to pray for others, anyone that might want to come up, maybe a few leaders in the church that want to come up and just make themselves available at the front. You can take some personal time at the mercy seat. You don't have to pray with someone. You can sit where you are and pray. This is just a space that we create so that you can take time with your Lord and Saviour to get right with God. And if you need some support, if you want someone to pray for something specific, um, then those people will make themselves available. So here's the last one I just want to leave you with. And it may be well known to uh, some of you. I just, just wonder what God's trying to talk and speak into our lives as we hear this today. One night, I had a dream. I was walking along the beach with my Lord, and across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one belonging to my Lord. And when the last scene of my life shot before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. And there was only one set of footprints. And I realised that this was the lowest and the saddest times of my life. I was in the valley. This always bothered me and I questioned the Lord about my dilemma. Lord, you told me that when I decided to follow you, you would walk and you would talk with me all the way. But I'm aware that during my most troublesome times, there's only one set of footprints. Why? I just don't understand. I don't understand why. That when I needed you most, you leave me. And he whispered, my precious child, I love you and I will never leave you. Never, ever during your trials or your testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. And therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies, dedicate all of yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God. And this is truly the way that we can worship. May God bless you and keep you in Jesus' name.